If you have a Bible this morning, let me invite you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it's a passage that if you've been around church at all, you're probably familiar with. It's that famous chapter by which Paul kind of gives a weird set of encouragements and challenges, even rebukes, to a very talented, wonderfully gifted, in fact, wealthy church, the church at Corinth. In the first half of the chapter of this particular letter, he's very commandeering. He compliments this church and how they are functioning. But when you hit verse 17, he says he can't. In fact, he has to correct them. He has to point some things out to them. The title of my little address this morning as we come to the table of the Lord, and I really wanted to build this entire service around this, is a time of celebration. It's a time of remembrance, and it's a time of proclamation. Now, I don't know about you, but I've said it a couple times. Can you believe that it's the first Sunday of June of 2017 already? (laughs) I can look in some of your faces. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more time flies. It really, really does. We're halfway through 2017. uh, I'm not usually good with names but I always remember faces. And so yesterday, my wife and I were at Costco, and uh, Abby was with us, and we were shoving the cart around, and this lady walks by me, and I'm like, I, I know her. I've seen that face before. <laughs> and um, my daughter and my wife thought I was clinically not in a good place. Um, they thought I was n- having illusions of grandeur that I could remember things. And I kind of stalked this woman all around Costco and everywhere she was. And every time I'd see her, I said, no, Debbie, I know who that is. And we went through the the checkout and we did all these things. And uh, as we were coming out, got the cart and we're going, going in here and uh, I'm in the car and she's pushing her cart out. And I'm like, no way. Cause the, the girls, the more I said, I know her, the more they're doubting me. And so I rolled the window down as I pull up beside her and I'm like, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I know you. <laughs> And she's got her cart, and she looks at me like, well, I don't know you. And I'm like, did you work in the mall? And she at first went, no. I was like, oh, stink, because that's the only thing I had. And uh, she said, I said, well, what do you do now? And this is like, we're strangers. And she said, I'm a teacher. And I said, were you always a teacher? No, no, no. When I was in college, I worked at the mall. I said, aha, where did you work? And she named off these stories. And I had worked at one of the, I said, my name's Steve Ray. You worked for me. And she was like, yeah, long time. And I was so pleased because then I could roll up my window and say to Debbie, see, don't doubt me. When I know, when I've seen, and I know a face, I know that face. All that to say, when I was driving back home, I realized, as Abby says from the back, so dad, when did you know her? It's like uh, a half a lifetime ago. I was in my early to mid-20s, and now I'm in my mid-40s. And I was extremely aware of where does the time go? Here we are on the first Sunday of June of 2017. So let me ask you this question. Where are you in life? Where are you in life? Now think about that, because we've got a great sampling of young and old here this morning. 
And what I mean by that is, at what phase of life do you find yourself in? For some of our young ones that just left, it's all about just getting out of primary school. Hoping, hoping that the report card says, passed, right? For some of our junior high and senior high, it's about finishing or getting ready for the exams, making sure you can get those. For some of you a little older, my daughter is starting to ask me this question now about getting her license. You remember that phase of life when you were counting down the weeks and the months to when you could go get your permit and start to get your license? For some of you here this morning, it's about a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You're at that phase of life. For others, it's about getting a job. As you continue to get older, it's about buying a house. For some of you, it might be, will I have kids? And others, it's, will I ever get these kids raised? And for any of you that have kids, it's dealing with kids. For some, you're at a phase of life where maybe you're having marriage issues or questions. For some, it's about making it ahead or getting that promotion or making that company better, expanding or renovating. Maybe you, some of you are planning for that once-in-a-lifetime trip. I have a feeling that many of you here, even at our church, a lot of time that might take up your thoughts are, do I have friends, real friends, friends that I can count on? Or maybe you're dealing with friendships. Maybe you feel like, you have no friends. What phase of life do you find yourself in? For some of you, maybe it's about health. Maybe it's about being healthier, losing weight, or dealing with an illness, or trying just to find your way in life and make sense of it. And then we get to that upper tier of life where maybe you're thinking about retirement. Is this the year? Will I do it now? Grandchildren, even great-grandchildren, and facing the challenges and the changes of life. Hmm. We all face them, don't we? Those little signs that life is quickly going by. I was telling a group, if, if I've seemed a little off today, just to let you know what happened this past week when I flew to Montreal, I cracked my back jaw tooth in half. Literally half of it came out, and it's still a half a tooth back here. And you don't realize how much a half a jaw tooth, all cracked and ragged, affects your mouth. Right now, if, you, if it was, I have gum padded and wadded in to the back so that the ragged edges don't continue to cut my tongue, which I've been dealing with, and I found it really hard to talk a little. But I was telling that to the worship team, or the music team this morning, so that they would understand I'm not being weird if I make weird faces or say weird words. And someone very encouragingly said, ha, Steve, you're getting old. Teeth are starting to break. Where are you in life? Apparently, I'm at the phase now where the warranty's gone and stuff is starting to break. But when you think of all the things I've just described, what about God? Where are you at in life as it comes to God or church, Jesus, the gospel? Where does all of that fit in your life? 
what level or what priorities to take. In, in our study that we're doing in our life groups called Respectable Sins, early on, we learned that un, ungodliness is not some weird type of sin that only those who reject Jesus are guilty of. We learned that ungodliness is the sin of simply not thinking about God. To be ungodly is how much of life do I spend where God is just not a part of my thought process. So when we think about our lives, how much of our life is made up of thinking? How much do we maybe are are struggling with the world's culture as it bombards us with this type of thinking? I'm the master of my domain. Or, you know what? If I'm going to make life happen, I got to make it happen. I got to be the one that does this. Maybe some of you are prone to pessimism. So you live life, and here's your motto, Murphy's Law works against me. Things happen in threes, right? When bad things start to happen, they come in threes. Maybe you're cosmically pessimistic. The universe is against me. Maybe some of you think in terms of karma or luck. Pastor Steve, you don't understand, man. I'm going through a bad luck phase of life. Now, some of you might even think God is against me. Now, By God's grace in a group as diverse as this, some of you may be thinking, Pastor Steve, I'm all about God. you got to realize, I pray and think and talk to God all the time. I give Him credit. I'm blessed. I'm humbled by Him and what He has done for me and how He's allowed me to live and to be blessed. And that is awesome. I hope that's more than just a few of you. But if that's true of you, if I claim this to be true, if that is true of us, then does that attitude, that disposition, so it show itself, here we ready, towards others? If you're really humbled and blessed by God, does that disposition show itself to others? How about this, to those who are not as blessed as you? Are you still praying for them, in love with them, thankful for them. What about to those who disagree with you? Those that are like, as one older person put it, heavenly sandpaper in your life. What about to those who don't share your values or your goals or your lifestyles? You see, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to the end of the chapter, is a treaty not just of the Lord's table, But what a group of Christians who get the gospel should act like and what they shouldn't act like and where they should run when they mess up. So listen to this just for a few minutes. One man has written, the ultimate purpose of the church is the worship of God the Father through Jesus Christ as enabled by the Holy Spirit. Now that's a model to live by, isn't it? Think about that. Is that, when you live life, is that the ultimate purpose of the church for you? that you think that the ultimate purpose of the church is the worship of God the Father through Jesus Christ as enabled by the Holy Spirit. And if you and I believe that, and I mean really believe it, then one of the highest forms of corporate Christian worship is to gather like this and celebrate the table of the Lord together in our diversity of gender, men and women, in our diversity of age, in our diversity of ethnicity or cultural background, in our diversity of social standing or even intelligence or gifts or all these things. But think about that for a second. 
in this celebration, we're really going to do two things. First, we're going to remember by looking backwards. To remember by definition means you've got you to remember something. You've got to recall something that's already happened. Because we're going to think about what Jesus did for us. Think about all the verses we've read. How many times we quoted Isaiah 53. But secondly, now this is where it gets a bit more heady. We're going to remember by looking forward. We're going to remember by looking forward. We're going to be looking for the coming of our Savior. Amen? Now that one gets, the amen gets a little louder depending on your age. And that's why for me, I'm always fascinated by that. Because Jesus, if you remember in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 6 to 9, what we always call the Lord's Prayer, which is really the model prayer. What is one of the lines in that? Thy kingdom come. Right? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. That for, it doesn't matter how young you are or old you are. It doesn't matter men or women. It doesn't matter where you are. Is our prayer, our heartbeat within you, come Jesus. That's why My Jesus, I Love Thee, which I thought about singing today, is one of my favorite hymns. Because it was written by William Featherston. You know the story. And he was 16 years old when he wrote it. And that third verse always grabs me. I will love thee in life. I will love thee in death. I will love thee as long as thou lendest me breath. And say when the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. 16. Imagine having that type of view of both mortality and eternity as a teenager. So, you know what? It doesn't matter who we... Just, so, just one question for all of us this morning as we get ready for the table of the Lord. How badly, and I mean, how badly do you and I want Jesus to come? <laughs> Amen, Mary. I remember when I was young, I think I've told you about this, that I used to bargain with God. I'd say, now, Lord, I know you're coming back. Please don't leave me behind. But if it's all the same to you, could I get my driver's license and then you come back? And then when I got, you know, Dayton Deb, I was like, I know you're coming back, but could you wait till I get married and then you come back? I kept bargaining with God. And as God is in his patience, has kept showing me, Steve, all these things, which are good things, nice things, but none of them compare to the splendor of me coming back. So don't put me off. Beg me to come. So how do you live with that type of of, of tension? The table of the Lord says that we remember by looking back, but we remember by looking forward. And that's about the idea we must long for and look forward to. And so we gather like this and we observe and we look back and we consider the price and the pain and the agony that Jesus endured. But how often as we do this this morning will your mind go to this thought? And this is why I focused on those our pronouns of Isaiah. That what we are celebrating, the reason Jesus died, the reason He came, it was our fault. It was our sinfulness. So here's the question. How often do we honestly personalize the cross? See, it's fascinating to me, the contradiction of our society, because we live in a very individualistic society. Everything's about me, about what I think, what I feel, how it affects me. And yet, when it comes to issues of taking responsibility, then it's no longer about me. 
It's about somebody else. Or it's about somebody that did something to me and thus this is why I am the way I am. But how often will we come to the table of the Lord, personalize it? Do you remember what Peter preached to the Jews in Acts 2? When he said to them that all the prophecies of Jesus and he detailed the account of his suffering for sin. Notice what he says. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now that doesn't sound like a real upbeat sermon. Now when they heard this though, listen to this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so Calvary Baptist for church if you claim to be saved here today, if you would say, I am a follower of a Jesus, I love him, I want to obey him, then let me also remind us of something else. See, we're going to do this this morning because Jesus commanded us to observe the table of the Lord. He commanded us to be baptized. In other words, being baptized and observing the Lord's table are both non-optional commands. And that's what Jesus tells us through Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 to the end of the chapter. Now that's why I want us to consider this as we come to the table of the Lord. James Hamilton Jr. writes this, The Lord's Supper is a proclamation of the gospel by those who embrace the gospel, by those whose identity is shaped by the gospel. Now, now let that quote sink in. The Lord's Supper is a proclamation of the gospel, by those who embrace the gospel, by those whose identity is shaped by the gospel. How many times have you heard me quote D.A. Carson, right? When I've said, we're simply beggars who found food who want to tell other beggars where to find it. Amen? Is that true of us? All right, I got semi-agreement. Well, if you agree with that, then let me ask you a question. Do you honestly see yourself as a beggar? I'm looking at well-dressed, well-put-together, socially acceptable, maybe middle to upper middle to maybe upper-class people. Do we honestly believe that we're beggars? <laughs> Thanks again for the honesty, Mary. Do you honestly identify with the gospel in the sense of how profoundly you need it and still do? You see, think about, remember, looking back for a couple minutes, the apostles, every one of them abandoned Jesus. Every one of them abandoned. So Jesus knows emotional betrayal, which some of us have felt. The religious Pharisees rejected him. And so Jesus knows intellectual betrayal. They basically said, I've heard what you said. I disagree with you. The crowd condemned Jesus. So Jesus knows physical betrayal. But look, go a step further. The Father, God the Father, forsook him. So Jesus knows spiritual separation. I quoted Tim Keller earlier this week on my Facebook page when he said, the only time in all the Gospels that Jesus Christ prays to God and doesn't call him Father is on the cross. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus lost his relationship with the Father so that we could have a relationship with God as Father. 
Jesus was forgotten so that we could be remembered forever, from everlasting to everlasting. Jesus bore all the eternal punishment that our sins deserve. So 1 Corinthians 11 is really a call for a checkup, a spiritual checkup. And so my first point, very quickly, believe it or not, I'm almost done. Just three little points as we come to the table of the Lord. Look at verses 17 to 22, the perversion of the Lord's Supper. Here's how we're not supposed to do this. But in the following instructions, Paul says, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Can you imagine if somebody wrote us and said that? Hey, Calvary Baptist, when you guys get together, it's actually when you're done, you're worse off than if you had not gathered. Imagine what the tension would have been like in this body of believers for Paul to say, when you come together, by the time you're done, you're actually less together than if you'd have just not gotten together. In fact, I'm sure if you talk to Derek about all the uh, idea of <laughs> being that negotiator, there's probably times you thought, we'd have been better off if we just never got to the table at all. Amen. <laughs> That's right. This is what Paul says. He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. Now, notice this peculiar verse, and I believe it in part, for there must be fractions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. He actually says, there's division among you. In fact, it's the kind of division that actually proves who's really the Christians and who aren't. As painful as division is, the one thing it does do, it separates the reality of Christianity from the pretenders of Christianity. All right? He says, when you come together, it's not for the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry. Another gets drunk. I love this. What? Where Steve dies? Downstairs somewhere. Exclamation point. I love to point that out to Steve Dow. You do, do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you, notice these words, despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. This church had perverted the Lord's Supper. These Christians are talking the talk, but they're not walking the walk. They had a form of godliness denied the, the Lord himself that was behind it. You notice what Paul says in verse 20? They're celebrating. They're not even celebrating the Lord's Supper at all. They could not say they were devoted to the Lord because neither the love feast nor the Lord's table was honoring to them. And then in verses 23 to 26, Paul takes them back to the right understanding because now in verses 23 to 26, you have the purpose of the Lord's Supper. Notice verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he took, when he was betrayed... This is a church getting together, and they are betraying each other. But here now Paul says, when Jesus was betrayed, he showed love. You guys are gathering together for love, and you're betraying each other. He's, he's showing them how what they're doing is the very opposite of what they should be doing. When he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Now notice, looking ahead, For as oft as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You see, Paul is reminding the Corinthians and us 
that we must identify ourselves as those who have been redeemed and transformed and changed by the jest of Jesus and are united to Him and other Christians. And thinking about this, we, we are all equally needy and equally guilty before God. And the only, that only God saves us and we cannot save ourselves. Therefore, our attitudes and our motives should be pure at all times as Christians. Amen? Amen. So now, we know that we are not perfect, right? We've done, we've done the call to confession. None of you batted a thousand this week in perfection. But if there's one place in time where our thinking and our hearts and our desire to worship and honor God should it not be at the table of the Lord together as Christians? John MacArthur says, this most beautiful and meaningful of Christian celebrations was instituted on the very night the Lord was betrayed and arrested. In the midst of the world's evil, God establishes good. In the midst of Satan's wickedness, God plants His holiness. In the midst of Satan's absolute worst, the condemnation of the Son of God on the cross, God accomplished His absolute best, the sacrifice for the redemption of the world through that cross. You see, folks, that's why Romans 8.28 should sing for us. But all things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to His purpose. That's why chapters, Romans chapter 12 to 16, Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, Ephesians 4 and 5, Philippians 3 and on and on should be our rally cry. Now, I said this once before. Um, Philippians chapter 1, I think it's verse 21. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right on. Okay, great. You know it. But why is it that Christians are like so many men? Husbands. I get this all the time. Husbands or boyfriends, you get married and you tell your wife, listen, honey, I'd die for you. Remember that old Robin Hood movie with Kevin Costner and Brian Adams? You know, everything I do, I do, I'd die for you. Right? And that's the climax of it. When they finally come together, she says, you came back for me. And he says, I would die for you. And then they make out. But yet so many women have said to me, Great, my husband's willing to die for me. I wish he'd take out the trash for me. You see, it's easy to say, I'd die for you. How many of us are ever going to have to die for our wives? A lot of Christians would say, oh, I'd die for Jesus. Will you live for him? Will you live for him? Jesus was betrayed and tempted in all the ways like you and me. But without sin... That's why he's our friend. He's our friend who knows and understands our weaknesses and our hurts. He knows our doubts and our struggles. He knows our sin issues and our pride. Folks, listen, don't compare yourself to anyone but Christ because then you'll be both humbled and blessed because then you'll want to live for him. For me to live is Christ. Remember that our challenge is to think and own and understand this. If Jesus knows how we feel, if he knows our weaknesses and our failures, knows our temptations and our experiences, if Jesus felt the sting and effects of everything you and I can feel, then realize this, Jesus, the bread of life, hungered so that you and I can be filled. Jesus, the fountain of life, was thirsty so that we can be satisfied. Jesus, the power of God, grew weak so that we could be strong. Jesus, the truth, was accused of false witness that we might be declared righteous. Jesus, the healer, was wounded so that we could be restored. Jesus, the source of life, died that we might live. 
But listen, where we fail, Jesus succeeds. Where you and I fail, Jesus succeeds. And that leads me to our point as we come to the table of the Lord, verses 27 to 34, the preparation for the Lord's table. Notice what he says. Whoever therefore eats or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Now we we get stuck on this verse a lot. But verse 28 says, let a person examine himself or herself then. So eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, notice this. Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment, but the other things I'll give directions when I come. But I want you to get this because these verses are kind of negative. Paul basically says, unworthy and guilty of the body of blood of Jesus, which means to approach the table as a ritual. It means to go through the motions without engaging your heart and mind. One man puts it this way, going through the motions without going through any of the emotions. Another way to think of it is that this earns you favor, as if this is merit giving. No, you already have Christ's favor. You don't have to get more of it. How can you and I ever impress God? You can't. He loves us with a great love. You already have it. You know what pleases God? Faith. Faith in what or whom? Jesus Christ. So the last wrong way is the hypocritical way. You hide a spirit of bitterness or even worse, hatred for someone else. You're pretending not to struggle with sin, acting like you've got it all together and that this table is just simply a ritual. But the preparation of this is let us examine ourselves. This is the safe haven of confession and repentance where we are renewed towards the one who has saved you. Folks, if you and I come to this table with anything but the highest view of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and anything less than the total love of our brothers and sisters in Christ, then you're coming unworthily. Because the Lord table, Lord's table pictures the gospel and the Lord's table testifies of our unity as Christians. So whether you're the best of sinners here this morning or the worst, we're all sinners. The Lord's table is how we get reminded to apply the gospel. Be like Christ. But all too often we think in terms of the fruit of the Spirit in an imperfect environment. That was not Jesus' purpose in having Paul write what he did. We are called to live like this right here right now, to show each other and the world. We need to show the world that what happened in London yesterday is not normal. London happens because of our collective evil, because of our collective rejection of God. It's what happens when humans try to live ungodly without thought of God. Our calling to celebrate and remember today is meant to empower us and embolden us to live like Paul says. For me to live is Christ. It's why Titus chapter 2, for the grace of God has appeared, okay, bringing salvation for all people. So what's the result of that? Training us to renounce ungodliness 
and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Why? Waiting for our blessed hope. What's that? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Why? Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. And here's the result. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one discard you. So Calvary, come to this table today to celebrate. Come to this table to cry out. Come to this table in unity. Take the time while the elders are passing around the bread and the juice to make eye contact with other people. Let the Holy Spirit bind you closer to everyone in this place. Come to this table and be renewed and instructed, even rebuked and exhorted. Come to the table to find renewed passion, to get a focus or to get the right priorities. But above all, come and take communion today to see Jesus. Think about what Jesus Christ has done for you, what Jesus Christ has made possible for you and for us. Jesus Christ resisted temptation. Remember a couple weeks ago, freeing us from our inclination to always choose our way over God's. Christ calls people, freeing us from being focused on ourselves. Christ casts out demons, freeing us from oppression. Christ heals, freeing us from sickness. Christ forgives, freeing us from guilt and sin. Christ teaches us, freeing us from misunderstandings about God and His law. Christ loves us, freeing us from the futility of trying to earn favor from God. Christ comes back from the dead, freeing us from the sting of death. Christ gives us His Spirit, freeing us from being motivated only by our selfishness. Christ promises to return, freeing us from despair that history is pointless and not moving anywhere. Today, let us Let us celebrate Jesus on June the 4th of 2017. And wherever you are in life, at whatever stage you are in or at, will you and I, will we today choose to live for Christ? Yes, to die is gain. But for goodness sakes, today, live. Live for Christ And let God our Father see us live for Him and let this world see us live for Him so that they are drawn to the gospel, not a social club. Let's pray in preparation for the table of the Lord this morning. Father God, we come before You as sinners. People who have missed the mark. Lord, we come before you this morning. And Lord, while I have never physically killed anybody, I am guilty of murder with my mind. And it's only because of Jesus Christ that I am forgiven and set free. Lord, free from anger or bitterness or resentment, I'm set free to pretend or act I'm set free to run to you every time to find more forgiveness. And Lord, may we see this together this morning. 
as we celebrate by remembering the past and the future. That our God came in the form of humanity, lived the life that we would never live, died the death that we deserve, rose from the dead, something we could never do, and now lives and reigns and intercedes and is our advocate for us. And Lord gives us hope in a chaotic world. Oh, that our young people here would know that their identity is found in Jesus Christ, not in their grades or their degrees. Oh, that the adults here would find their identity in Jesus Christ and not in their social standing, however they define it. Oh, that our seniors here would know that their identity is found in Christ and not in their accomplishments or their accolades. Lord, may our women know that their identity is Christ. May the men know that our identity is in Christ. May we as a church know that our identity is in Jesus Christ. And that's what gives us hope and peace and purpose and calling. And so now as we take these five or ten minutes to participate in this meal. From the youngest to the oldest. From the poorest to the richest. From the person who's been at this church the longest to the least. Father, from the most talented and gifted, however we define it. Lord, to the one who's been saved the longest, to the one who just found you, to the one who is struggling and the one who says, I got it figured out. Oh, may we come to this table right now in June of 2017 and say, all I have is Christ. In Jesus' name and all God's people said.